You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I am Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and well, I'm all solo again today, but that's kind of fun because I get to talk about a shoot that I went through, and I think it's going to be a really fun episode. Uh, I hope it's something that a lot of people enjoy. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, I, I'm interested in your feedback on this show for sure. Uh, before we get into it, there's kind of two other things I need to update you on. The first is I just last episode gave you software update statuses because I was finally able to give my seal of approval on all of the latest updates from Adobe and Microsoft and Apple. And then here in early February 2020, Adobe went ahead and released an update to Lightroom Classic. It's part of their February 2020 updates. And so Lightroom Classic 9.2 got released, and that is not yet going to have my Photo Taco seal of approval. It just got released. I never give it. It has to be at least a week, a week time, a week's time before I can give that seal of approval. So I, I do kind of, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be able to give that seal of approval pretty fast this time. But if you're waiting for that and you want to make sure you don't have any problems, I do recommend you kind of just wait for a little bit. Just just wait. You can do it. Just wait. <laughs> Just wait for a second. Make sure that this release doesn't have anything in it. As far as features, I don't think this is a feature-packed release that's really going to be a, a big deal to many of you. That should make it easier for you to wait because there's probably not a lot in here that is going to be a, be something that you're going to really be antsy to upgrade to. 9.1 had more things that I think were were appealing to people, to photographers, but this set is not that great. I'll, let me just run really quickly down kind of the biggest of the changes and so you can get an idea of what's in there. Uh, one of them is that you now have some additional settings that you can have that will be used as default as you import raw files into Lightroom. So kind of like import presets, but you don't have to create a preset or remember to apply a preset as you import. You can go in and set some settings that will be there by default as you import raw files. So it's kind of cool. I don't think it's a, a huge deal, but I'll probably look into it and see if I want to do anything there. Uh, second, you can now see your PSB or your large document Photoshop files in Lightroom now. They didn't support, Lightroom didn't support them at all before. There's still some limitations. There's still some sizes that it won't show. If they're really, really large, they don't show up. But you can kind of see them now. Uh, again, not something I think a lot of you listening are likely to care about. But if you do, you can know that in 9.2, that's going to be headed your way. They have some new set, uh, cameras and lenses that they'll support. So that can be a big deal to some of you. If you've got a, a newer camera or lens and you are just waiting for Lightroom to support it, I can see why that would be a big deal. You'll be able to check out the list in a show in the link in the show notes so that you can see what uh, what cameras and lenses it is that they support. Uh, they have a better way to configure Lightroom if you use a second or third display. I don't personally use that yet. I don't know how many of you listening do. I don't have a good sense for that. It would be interesting. Maybe if you want to comment on this uh, episode about if you use two or three displays in your photography. If you do, they do definitely make it a lot easier to be able to configure those displays in this release. I still don't think it's something that like you'd want to rush to get to if you'd use two or three displays. 
I, I mean, just wait for a week or two until I can give the photo taco seal of approval. But that is coming your way. Uh, last, there's some GPU acceleration that they've added. I don't expect it to be significant in impact to most of you listening. They added some acceleration to the lens correction and transform features in the develop module. I will test that at some point and report on it on Photo Taco uh, to be able to figure out kind of how big a deal that is. I usually leave those things kind of to the end because they are kind of uh, more intense features. And so I will adjust everything else before those things and do those last just because that it, it really is, is intense. So maybe the GPU acceleration there is going to help and make it so that you don't really need to leave it to the last, but we'll, we'll see. Again, I don't think it's a, a massive deal there. And then the last one, they did get things updated so that enhanced details, something that is there mostly for Fuji RAW files, um, is now GPU accelerated in Mac OS Catalina. It was already there in Windows, but they got it working for uh, GPU. Uh, oh, sorry, it's it's external GPUs too. It's eGPUs in Mac OS Catalina so that you can use that there. Again, a, a feature just most of you listening probably won't care at all about or even use. So, uh, so there it is. Those are kind of the big points that are coming out in this. They said other performance and bug fixes too. Nothing earth shattering, nothing that I think any of you listening are going to need to be clamoring for. If you want to go to 9.1, that is one that has my photo taco seal of approval. Go and update to that and use that and just hold off on 9.2 for a little bit, especially if you don't have a new camera or lens that you're looking for. All right, second thing to update really quickly, and then I'm, I'm super excited to get into this, the topic for this episode. Uh, show notes came up this week in the Facebook group as well. We've had a lot of questions about that. Um, some listeners said that they hear me talk all the time in these episodes about the show notes. I'm constantly saying, go check the show notes like I just did a minute ago with the link to the Adobe release and what uh, what all is there and the details about the release. I said I'd put a link in the show notes. And yet they say, I don't know where to find them. I don't know where the show notes are. And I think what's happening is listeners are going over to the website, which is masterphotographypodcast.com. And they're looking for something that says show notes, a menu option, some links, whatever, something like that. And we didn't have anything there that specifically labeled something as show notes. It just is right there in front of you on that first page. We have this big monster like blue logo graphic thing that says welcome to you know Master Photography Podcast. And if you scroll down past that, maybe that's another part of the problem. You had to scroll down a little bit on some screens then you just see these articles that are there or these these listings of things and that's the show notes that's what they are right there on that first page and i think the listeners were like i don't see where show notes are <laughs> so to kind of address that and try to make it more intuitive to find them even though they're right there front and center on the main website i added a show notes menu option to the site and it's going to be super, super simple kind of show notes. Nothing fancy there. It even it should load really fast because it's just going to be text. There's no graphics. There's nothing, nothing at all fancy there. It's going to have the name of the episodes, the date of the episodes, and like a really brief summary description of the episodes listed there. And it's going to be the first, the most recent 100 episodes are going to load on that page. Um, we just, if you start loading more than that, the page gets heavy. And anyway, it's going to be the most recent 100. So that is going to be a super easy way. Now, if you go to the, the site, you'll, you'll see a menu option. Um, I still like the way that it's presented on the, the main page better. 
because it does show some of the images. It only shows the last, I don't know, 10 or so most recent episodes on that page. So you don't see as many of them, but there are some where there's images that are associated with the episode and you can see them there. So whichever option you want to use to get there and find the show notes is great. Uh, we just love to have you check them out and go visit the website so you can see all of this information. I also wanted to say you can get to the show notes more directly from the podcast apps. The problem is they all do it differently. So I can't exactly go through all of them. There's so many podcast apps out there that you can use on your phone. Uh, I think a good portion of you are probably using the Apple podcast app. So I'm going to describe a, a little bit about how you can do it in there to get to the show notes. But in CastBox or Overcast or Google Podcast or whatever app you're using on your phone, there's probably a way to be able to see the show notes. You just need to poke around a little bit and then recognize that there's a link because it doesn't, again, it doesn't say show notes here kind of link. Um, and as I described this in the Apple Podcast app, you'll, I hope you'll get it. So if you open up the Apple Podcast app and you choose the Master Photography Podcast because you're all subscribed to it, right? If you're not, we'd really love to have you subscribe. That helps the show more than anything else you can do. Well, besides supporting our sponsors and then going in and buying those products when we have sponsors. Um, that That is the very best way. But besides that, uh, subscribing to the show, that doesn't cost you anything. And that is what really, really helps us. So if you can subscribe and share the show too, get other photographers to be able to subscribe, that will help grow the show and help keep us going in producing this content. Okay, so again, you, you clicked on Master Photography. Now, if you see a view... Uh, I, I don't know what the default view is because I, I change it as I use Apple Podcast app. But if you see like a list view that has all of the episodes there in a list, then you there's like a details. Uh, it's not a button. It's like a link in each one of them. And if you click on that, then it takes you to kind of some more information. It has stuff that's there. And on that screen with the more information, after you click on the details link for the episode, it has like episode notes. And then towards the bottom it has like this very summary level description of kind of some of the stuff that's in the, the episode. And at the bottom it says the post. And then like for this episode, it'll just say challenging portrait shoot appeared first on master photography podcast. And the words challenging portrait shoot for this episode that we're I'm recording right now, um, will be like highlighted because they're a link and then master photography podcast will also be highlighted as a link and that so if you clicked on challenging portrait shoot that would take you to the show notes on the website the the specific post that I create on, on the website for this episode that has detailed show notes and uh, and then if you were to click on the link that is master photography podcast it takes you to our website just the the first page that you go to so so look for that inside of the podcast app too um there's usually links that are there they don't they're not like underlined like you normally would see so it doesn't seem like it's a link in a lot of the apps but it's there and uh, and you should be able to to get to it pretty easily. But it, it, easiest, very easiest way, even outside of the pos podcast app, since I can't tell you exact directions for all of you, uh, is just going to the the website Master Photography Podcast, and now you just click on the show notes link. And uh, we we thank thank you so much for listening, everybody. Really, really appreciate it. All right, with all the with both of those things out of the way. Let's get to what I'm so excited about. I want to tell you about the challenging portrait shoot that I did this past weekend here in early February 2020. And it's it's interesting. Um, 
because I I wasn't sure if anyone would be interested in this this topic for sure. So what I decided to do was I posted the some of the images that I got I created from this shoot out to the Facebook group, the Master Photography Facebook group. And I just asked the listeners, hey, I, I, I said I did this shot, this shoot. It was one of the more challenging shoots I've done in a while. Are you interested in me going through the details of it and the decisions I made, what kind of challenges I faced and, and how I decided to work through it? And enough people responded to that. Actually, it was a pretty popular kind of response. It, it's one of the more commented posts that we've had in a while. Uh, so I assume everyone's going to be kind of excited to have me go through this and, and we'll do it. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to detail kind of the makeup of the shoot and the the photography decisions that I had to make along the way. I'll go through the equipment I used because it is the equipment I used. Um, and uh, and we'll, we'll see what you think. All right. So details of the shoot. The shoot was a group of nine couples going to a, a local high school sweetheart's dance. One of them was my son, so this was a free shoot because, well, we kind of love the kid, <laughs> and we told him that we're always willing to do this for him. We'd rather, like, take the photos and do it for free than get some of the photos that we've seen. So, anyway, we've, we've just told him, like, yeah, we're always up for it. If you want to do, if if your group that you're going with wants to have us do the, do the photos, we are happy to do it. So, he took us up on that with his dance, and we uh, we were keyed into doing the photos. Now, it's early February. The forecasted high temperature for Utah for that day was around 40 degrees, but that's like at middle of the day, right? Uh, we were probably going to be getting together later, a little later in the evening when it would be colder than that. So 40 wasn't too bad as far as taking photos uh, and people in like, you know, more formal wear with girls in dresses, boys in the suits, and uh, but it wouldn't be that warm when we took it. So, uh, you know, an option would have been the DIY studio in our basement and where the kids could all be warm. But the kids all decided, now we, we really want to have pictures in the canyon. We want to have like the snow in the pictures. And they thought it would look really cool. And yeah, it might be a little cold, but it'll be fine. It'll be fine. So, okay. All right. If that's where you want to go. So now we research. Now, now the question is, what time should we meet? It's what the clients always need to know, whether it's paid or not. We got to figure out. We know the date because it's the day of the dance. Uh, we need. We know the location now. Now it's just the time. That's what we always have to work out with all the clients. So, I opened up the Photo Pills app and I figured out that on that day, sunset would be at five fifty-three p.m., which means that's when like the golden hour starts. And then the blue hour would end at 6.21 p.m. And we'd pretty much be completely out of ambient light by 6.54 p.m. So we needed to really, we wanted to be done before the sunset. And knowing the location, we'd already be in shadow by like the sun. And actually, PhotoPills kind of showed this too. The sun would, would be gone and not really a super big part of the picture by way a, a lot before 5:53 p.m. So we we needed to meet earlier. The temperatures were also forecasted to be around that time to be like 34 degrees and getting colder down into like the 20s in a low that night. So uh it was definitely going to start getting colder, which means that's we have both the light and the cold that are going to become a problem pretty quick there, you know, 5:30, 6 o'clock ish. 
and we needed to, to get these photos done before that. So the earliest the kids thought that they could get there was around five. So we're like, okay, that should work. That should give us almost an hour of shooting with pretty good ambient light. It should be a little bit warmer, maybe not a huge amount warmer, but a little bit warmer. And that's probably, that'll probably work. And so we said, okay, five o'clock, you guys all be there at five o'clock. Let's get all nine couples there at five o'clock. We'll shoot. We'll make it go as fast as we possibly can. And you guys can get off to the rest of your date. So next step was, and this is something my wife and I, it's not like a formal process. I wouldn't say it's not like I get with my wife and I say, let's make our shooting plan. But we always kind of do this just kind of naturally. We plan our shoot then. We've negotiated the date, time, and place with our client. And now we talk about what do we need to do at this shoot to be able to give, create images that this client is going to love. And are there things we need to bring? Are there specific kinds of shots that we want to have? And what equipment is it that's going to help us to create those images that the client is going to love? And so doing this, this plan on this one, the biggest thing that we were worried about, we knew they were going to be late. They just said, yeah, we think we can be there at five o'clock, but it never happens. And uh, yeah, of course it never happens. So, and, and it's going to be cold. The light's going to be leaving. So we need to shoot as fast as we possibly can. I mean, they kind of already brought it up as we were talking with my son. He's like, I know we need to, like, it's going to be cold. So we'll need to make sure we do it really fast. But we have girls in dresses. We have boys. It might be a little bit warmer, but not in good clothes to do this for sure. And we need to get this done very, very quickly. So as we're planning this shoot, we thought maybe we should just do ambient light on this one. It kills me a little inside when we talk that way now. <laughs> I'm such a convert to flash photography and adding flash to my portraits that I I just bothers me to think that we're going to try to do a portrait shoot without adding flash. But in this case, to make it go faster and not have to worry about like flash settings and, and the light's probably changing by the time we're doing it. The sun's going down, so the light's probably changing and that's more to deal with. All right, let's let's consider doing ambient light only. It's not a paid shoot. The kids aren't expecting a ton here anyway. And so ambient, you know, they, they'd probably appreciate getting in and out faster more than they would uh, that we're using flash and getting better images. So, all right, we'll consider that. Another thing we could do to make it go faster is we could both shoot for sure. And most of the time when we do portraits these days, um, my wife does the posing. She focuses on the posing and the positions and where people should be and how their hands should be and, and all of those kinds of details while I'm doing the shooting and I'm worrying about the exposure and flash and power settings and, and all of that stuff. We, we're a really good team that way. It works out super well for us. But in this case, we thought maybe if we go ambient, we don't have as much to worry about and we can use both of our cameras and be able to to shoot it and get stuff done twice as fast, especially because we know with these shoots, what we do is individual couples. We take uh, several poses with the individual couples, and then you have the groups. So if we, we, we had nine couples here, we could split that up. In fact, just to make it faster, since we're considering ambient light only, we can invite a third shooter. Someone uh, we, There was someone that we knew that wanted to shoot with us anyway, 
and uh, just they weren't very experienced, but they they wanted to shoot and, and get that experience and, and have fun doing it. And they knew the kids, and and so we thought we could invite a third shooter to come, and then we could split up. We had nine couples, three shooters, three couples apiece, and then we could get through this really fast if we did three poses per couple. If you assume about one minute per pose, it's like three minutes per couple, then you're through the three couples a piece in nine minutes and like within 15 minutes, like they're going to be in and out of cars probably with heat and so that they can warm up. And so within 15 minutes, we can probably have all nine couples shot individually. Then we get them all out. Uh, we have the, the bring blankets so that the girls can be wrapped up in blankets while we get the group shot set up. Then they take the blankets off. We'll do the shoot beginning to end, you know, probably like, you know, within 30 minutes. So if they show up even at like 5.15, maybe 5.30, we shoot for 30 minutes, we're done by six, the light probably will hold and we'll, we'll probably be good. And if they show up right at five, five to 5.30 is going to be great. That's going to be just perfect on the ambient light and we'll get through it really fast. All right. So that was kind of the shoot plan we talked about. And so you know, the shoot plan was no flash and three shooters. And, and that's, that's, we ended up with some challenges that changed things. I decided, and before I get into like the challenges and, and what we were using and everything, I did decide, uh, as 4.30 was approaching, well, that was another part of our shoot. We always plan to be there at least a half an hour before the clients. So in this case, the kids were planning five. That means I want to be on location and uh, scoping out spots and things at 4.30. Plus, this is a pretty popular shot, destination, location to go and shoot. And with the high school dance happening, there was a, a high potential that other people would be at the same location wanting to shoot as crazy as we were to be out in the cold. And, uh, and we wanted to save our spots. So we figured if we were there at 4.30, not likely a lot of people are going to be there that early to save this location for the dance photos. So that was another reason to get there early on this particular shoot. Uh, so as, as I was, as four o'clock was approaching and it's almost time to leave my house to go to the location, I just think, and, and I'm getting my, I'm getting the cameras ready. I'm checking the batteries. I'm getting the, the flash cards in there, uh, the memory cards. And I just think I'm going to bring the flash equipment anyway. I want it. I think it just produces better images. If we have the time, I really want to do it. So I decide, I make a last second decision, I'm gonna bring the flashes, but there's some concerns with the flashes. Like normally for a group of this size, nine couples, 18 people, um, I want to use silver umbrellas to light them. And I've, I've had really good success with silver umbrellas doing a beautiful job lighting a big group. But it's windy right now. <laughs> Here in Utah, the wind has been pretty bad, it's chilly. And uh, this location is the mouth of a canyon. There's usually more wind there. I just don't see that going well. Even with sandbags, uh, the umbrellas like have problems in the wind. And I, I don't want to have to deal with that. So instead, I think, okay, what I can use is I have two mag bounce modifiers. So I can use my AD200 flashes. I'll put them on light stands. I'll use the mag bounces and I'll use them just like I would normally silver umbrellas. I'll put them left and right of the couples in the big group shot. I will point the mag bounces towards each other, towards the middle of the group. And then I'll use, I'm going to bring a softbox for the individual couples. And even though it's not ideal, I'll just like use that softbox too to try to add some light to the middle of the group 
and uh, and produce a, a nice good catch light in their eyes too. So that's my kind of rough plan minutes before I have to leave. So I grabbed this gear, grabbed three light stands, and here's the gear I ended up using. So for cameras, the two cameras that we have, you probably, if you've been listening for a while, you know what we have. I have a Canon 7D Mark II and a Canon 80D. And we're still at this point planning on the ambient lights. I just decided to bring the flash stuff in case, kind of, and and hoping I can convince my wife. It's like worth it, and it won't take that much extra time, and, and we'll see how it goes. But we have those two. Then I have, uh, as lenses, I have the Tamron 24-70 f2.8 uh, Generation 2 lens that we're going to put on the ADD. And um, and that's primarily the lens that, that we would use, lens and camera we'll use for portraits with the enhanced dynamic range of that of the ADD sensor. I like the, the images that we can create using that combination. Then I have the Tamron 70-200 f2.8 Generation 2 that's on my 7D Mark II. And I am able to, and, and then my thought was at least the group picture, I can use a 70 to 200 if I need to there. I couldn't remember the exact distance from the bridge I'm going to have to be because there's like this river under the bridge and I can't be like, I don't have a lot of options to be real close to that bridge for the group shot. Uh, and then uh, the our friend, our third shooter that we invited, she has a Canon T6. And we let her borrow our Tamron 24-70 f2.8 Generation 1 lens to put on that Canon T6 camera. The lens has way more to do with the image quality than the camera body. So I wasn't worried about the T6 in this situation. It's a Rebel crop sensor, consumer level camera, uh, but it's it's perfectly adequate especially if we have enough light so if the kids are on time we're going to be good and that f the tamron f 2.8 means they're going to we're going to be able to open things up to a, an f-stop of 2.8 and we'll get some good pictures even even though it's a canon t6 which is fine it's it's a perfectly adequate camera especially for portrait shoots in in plenty of light all right so the just-in-case uh, flash equipment, I, I talked a little bit about it. Uh, the Godox X-Pro-C flash controller. Love the X-Pro-C flash controller. The X-Pro flash controllers are awesome from Godox. And then I have three Godox 8200 flash strobes that I brought. And two Magrips Mag Bounce modifiers. Talked about that already. Then I have a Photodiox Pro 60-inch softbox that I brought. And three 9-foot impact air-cushioned heavy-duty light stands. Love those light stands. All of this equipment I detail over at phototacopodcast.com as budget equipment. Most of it is very inexpensive. The Godox AD200 flashes are a little bit spendy. Um, so there's some other Godox flashes that I can recommend that would have done just fine in this situation. But I have these and uh, they can help me with recycle time. So I, I brought them and uh, the gear all worked fabulously. All right, so that's that's kind of the equipment that we set out to use. Um, my thoughts on the lighting. I already talked about kind of the big group and not wanting to do the silver umbrellas. And um, softbox uh, would would help me with the individual couples. So I think now we're ready to talk about like the actual shooting event and some of the decisions that I had to make plus some of the challenges that came up. So we had our shoot plan. Remember, everyone's going to come at five. We're going to split up three couples a piece. We're going to shoot ambient light only, and then we're going to get the group together. And I might need the lights at that point with the big group because we don't expect anyone to be on time. All right. So 4.30, we're on location. I'm setting up the lights. I do a little bit of testing just to kind of see that stuff's going to work the way I want, and I'm liking what I'm seeing. 
but it's 4.30 and there's tons of light. Like the sun hasn't gone down past the mountains in the canyon yet. And it's it's bright. It's super bright. So I know I don't have a true feel for what it's going to be like when the when these couples start arriving. And I'm going to have to figure out what the settings are going to be really fast in the moment when they arrive. Because we don't know exactly when they're going to get there either. Uh, we're there till at 5 o'clock. And it's starting to get cold. So we kind of go sit in the car. And five o'clock rolls around and there's nobody. <laughs> there's no one there. Oh, 5.15, there's still no one there. And then around 5.30 is when the first car of couples shows up. It's a car that has four couples in it. And uh, so we get, we have our third shooter come out and she's going to shoot. Even though We only have four of the nine couples but we thought we asked her to come. She really wanted to get the experience of shooting with us and, and seeing what it's like to do portrait shoots. And so, uh, so we have her get out there and, and I just go out there and I'm like, you know what? There's only the four couples. We have some time. I'm going to set up the softbox. So I, I, I mean, I already had it out and fully set up and ready to go, but we're going to actually use it to do this shoot. So it was already there and ready. And so we, we set it up and we shoot it and, and she had so much fun this third shooter, a friend of ours, uh, because she'd never used flash before. And it was, it was really fun. So not having nine couples, uh, helped us with that and, and made the decision to do it. Uh, now it's now it's, I wanted to go through kind of the decisions about what exposure to, to set. I always start off my thought process with exposure and, and what I'm about to go through. Isn't the only way to do this for sure. It's just how I have come to do it and it's working well for me so that I can create the images that I want. And I'm happy with the images that I'm able to create. So whatever process you use, and as long as you're able to create the images you want, that's great. There's not a right or wrong way to do this, but this is how I do it. I think it helps other people to hear that and how it is that I do it. So I'm gonna go through what my process is pretty detailed here. So I start off considering aperture first. That's like one of the more important things in the exposure triangle that, that I think you really need to decide on first. With portraits, I always wanna to try to make that background blurred. I wanna to try to get it so that the, the model in the portrait stands out from the background. And there's lots of ways to do that. The lighting can do that. And we're going to do that in this case too. But also the, the focus. If the focus is really tack sharp, especially in the eyes on the model, and the background can be out of focus, that just says portrait, professional portrait more than almost anything else. And so uh, it, it's really fabulous. And that means, I mean, we're shooting crop sensor camera here. So I want to make sure I open up the aperture as much as I can f 2.8 it also happens in this case that we have uh you know the light is is starting to go down it's 5 30 they're half hour late from what we thought so we've already lost a lot of the light that we were hoping to have for shooting but i i want that that nice blurred out background uh so f 2.8 and we'll see if we can get the shutter speed and iso set so that we can keep it at 2.8 if it's too bright you may be forced into going something you know stopping down the aperture to 3.5 or 4 or 5.6 or something in order to get there if there's too much light so but you you got to figure this out and work through it i all so next is the shutter speed and with shutter speed, uh, you have to consider the focal length and you have to, of course, consider the ambient light. So focal length, I, we're going to shoot these individual couples at 24 millimeters. We're going to be really close to the couple. And um, and so we can take the, uh, the shutter speed 
in general, if they're not going to move, you want it to be two times that focal length. So one forty-eighth of a second, which is not an actual setting. So, you know, something like one sixtieth of a second, one fiftieth of a second, something like that would work. But I also had to consider that one of the poses that we normally do with the couples is a pose where they're kind of like spinning. <laughs> so there's going to be some motion, not a ton. It's not like an athlete who's, you know, playing basketball or football or soccer and, and running. It's not motion that, that that is that fast, but they do move. It's it's a kind of pose that we've just done a ton with the different high school dance shoots that we've done. And it loosens the kids up. They really kind of have more natural and real smiles when they do that. They think it's pretty funny when the girl spins the boy in particular. And uh, and you get some really fun photos out of it. So I love that shot. I had to keep that in mind as we're coming up with the settings. And, and I'm helping do this for this third shooter because she's not got the experience to be able to kind of know how to do this herself. So uh, I'm thinking, okay, that means I need probably more like four times that focal length. And, uh, but I, I also have to remember there's the max sync speed. And if you don't know what that is, I'll put some links in the show notes and hopefully you know where to find those show notes. Now <laughs> I'll put some links in the show notes to some help on what max sync speed is. But for the rebel T six, it's one 200th of a second. And I didn't know that ahead of time. What I did is I put the Godox controller, the Godox X pro controller on the Canon rebel T six camera. And uh, when it's not, when the controller is not set in high speed sync mode, it limits the the max uh, shutter speed for you. So I just maxed it out. I was like, oh, 200 is the max sync speed on this camera. Okay, so we're gonna try at 200. That's it's gonna give us the very best chance to have those spinning photos be sharp, tack sharp, and uh, not have motion blur. So we're 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 now at f 2.8 for the aperture, shutter speed of one 200th of a second. Third variable is ISO, and of course, we want to go as low as we possibly can on the ISO. So now we have our exposure triangle figured out. As far as like considering the equipment we have, but we haven't considered the light yet, or at least in my decision-making process, I haven't considered the light yet. I, I decided aperture because I know I want the background to be blurred. I decided shutter speed because I know the kinds of poses we're going to do, and then I need a faster shutter speed, and I always want the ISO as low as I can get it. I've decided those independent of what the lighting situation is. I don't have, I haven't yet even considered what light is there. I mean, I kind of have. I know I can consider the one two hundredth because I have enough ambient light based on my experience. To I, I have enough ambient light that that's probably going to work. But now I need to actually like meter the light using the camera and see if I need to adjust anything. Those are the settings I want. Let's see if I have to adjust anything and which, what am I going to adjust? So I use spot metering to inform these decisions. I find the very brightest thing in the background. I put the center spot on the camera over it. And that's, I say that specifically because it's important detail when you're using a Canon camera in particular. Some cameras, the metering, where the, the camera meters from follows your focus point. So if you have the focus point like off to the upper right uh, on rule of thirds kind of location, then the spot, the metering will happen from there too. Canon cameras, almost all of them, except the 1DX line, uh, they do not do that. It doesn't matter where the focus point is, the spot metering happens from the center of the camera, the center of the, the center focal point. And so you have to use that no matter what to do it. So I find the brightest spot in the background. I put the center focus point over that brightest spot. 
I have the, the metering mode set to spot metering and then I meter on the camera and I'm looking to go underexpose the background by one third stop. That's what I, that's my goal as I'm shooting portraits most of the time. Sometimes I'll take it even to a full stop, just depends on kind of the shoot mood and what I want to do with the image. But in this case, I want, the kids wanted the location to be like part of the shot. So I didn't want it to be uh, dramatically different lighting between the background and the people. So one third stop. You could try to do it even, but then the flash doesn't really separate the person from the background that much. Or if it does, you you run more of the risk of like highlights being a problem. Anyway, one third stop was the goal that I had here. So I, I found, I looked through that and uh, not bad. Actually kind of worked out that those settings were going to be fine. One two hundredth of a second, F2.8 and ISO 100. Uh, it was already about one third of a stop. It just happened to be that way as I was metering. I was like, okay, this is going to work. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Now I have to decide what, how to power my flash, what flash power I'm going to use. I'm using the 60 inch softbox. It has, it's on a light stand. The, the modifier is set so that the, the, um, bottom of, well, the top of the modifier is about eye level with the, the boy. And then it's, it's pointed down almost at a 45 degree angle, but I just really try to point it down so that the, the bottom of the modifier kind of hits their feet and, and try to, to make it so that it's working that way. I'm getting it as close as I possibly can to them without having it be in the frame. We don't want to have to deal with it being in the frame. So, but I want it as close as I can possibly get it. And, uh, and then it's on the light stand with the sandbag to keep it uh, upright. And the wind was a concern and it actually was a problem as we shot. So I had uh, I had to go stand on it while the shooter was shooting, while our third shooter was shooting. Um, and then my wife kind of stood on it while I was shooting later in the day, in the in the shoot and so on. So now, now I had to decide what power level to set the flash at inside the softbox. I always start at one eighth. It's a good like halfway point. If you can go at one eighth, that's awesome because the Godox 8200s will like recycle almost instantaneously. So you can just pop, pop, pop as almost as fast as you want to go. And uh, it, it works fabulously. I love the Godox 8200 for that reason and one eighth power. So I start there and then I'll either adjust up or down depending on how it looks. And so I started at one eighth power. I took a test shot and then I checked the histogram there was at least a quarter of the histogram to the right not filled in. Lots of room to have brighter things in the photo. So I decided uh, one quarter. I'm going to go up to one quarter. I'm going to add a whole stop of flash power. I'm going to go up to one quarter. I take another test shot, check the histogram. It still had some room, which is fine, but it was a lot closer and I was happy. Plus, kids are freezing. I'm freezing. <laughs> I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. So I decide this is going to work. We have the, the background set how I want it. The flash looks pretty decent. Let's go. So, um, so, so we're ready to go now. We're ready to shoot the individual couple first of four that have arrived on the scene on location and we're going to go all of what I just described took me, you know, several minutes for me to describe what I just went through. All of that happened in less than I'll say 30 seconds. I'll bet something like that. And that's kind of an important point too, that I have talked about this a lot on the podcast I don't know how well it's coming across or, or for new listeners, it's, it's good just to, to reiterate. But one of the things that you should make sure you invest in 
more than anything else, if you're not happy with your images, the thing you need to invest in is the person taking the photos. You need to learn everything there is to know about the camera you have. The camera you have is good enough to take really good images. I can promise you that. There, it is way more capable than you imagine. And don't, don't listen to all the hype and pressure to upgrade the camera body. Yes, that can help, but way more important and way more helpful is knowing everything about how to use that camera and and the the things that I've just gone through, the settings, the decision-making process to figure out what settings to use. That is more important to creating really good images than anything else. And your gear is probably good enough. The lenses might not be, you might have to, like f2.8, I needed to be able to have a fast enough lens where I could open up the aperture to f2.8 and, and have that be an option as I was shooting so that I could blur out that background. Plus it ends up being really important when, when you have less light, like we were facing really shortly in this situation. So having enough experience and using and decision-making so that you can do that in 30 seconds, that is extremely valuable and that should be kind of some of your objective. You need enough experience and enough practice that you can go through what I just described and you can get that down in less than 30 seconds so you can shoot and you can go. And there, you don't have clients waiting forever for you to figure out what should your shutter speed be or what should your aperture be, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. All right, so the the we're ready to go, we, we do the shoots, uh, I'm, I kind of check after we do the first couple, they look beautiful. The back of the camera's really exciting. I, I'm pretty happy with where we're at. We rotate through, the, the couples are coming in and out of the car, so they warm up, and we're done with the first four couples in 16 minutes. So we still went faster than we thought we would with four couples and single shooting using the flash than we thought in our shoot plan. And that kind of is going to inform future shoot plans. Like we were able to work through some pretty tough things here really fast. And I could feel more confident that yes, they're going to be cold, but they're going to be, you know, only the couple being shoot shot is going to be out. The rest can be in the car warming up and we can get through this fast enough that we can do flash. It's going to be fine. We're fast at this now and can make this go. Um, so, and, and in between all of the couples, I was checking things. I was re-metering. I was using my camera. So the, the third shooter is using her Canon T6 and I was, uh, using my Canon ADD and I was just kind of validating the settings in between. And so I'd recheck the metering. I'd refind that spot where, uh, the snow was that was brightest in the background and the light at this time wasn't changing so much that we really had to, we didn't have to change any settings while we were shooting these four couples. It was great. 16 minutes done. And then we sat and waited, <laughs> right? We still have five more couples that need to show up and the light is starting to change. Like in that 15 minutes, it changed pretty noticeably. And, um, they come around 15 minutes later, it's right at about 6 PM. So a full hour after we thought we'd get started, um, but it's, it's 6 PM. We have based on the, the information we pulled from photo pills previously, I know I have like 20 minutes before I'm going to be completely out of light. I have five couples to shoot. Now I didn't time it as we were doing this. I got the information about how long it took us to do this by looking at the times in Lightroom when we were done. So I didn't have the information yet at this point to be able to know 
hey, we just uh, did four couples in 16 minutes. We can pick up the pace a little bit even. I think we have, because I, I was helping explain some of the settings and what we were doing to this third shooter. Um, I think we can go fast. I'll shoot now. We'll go faster. I'm probably going to have to change some of the lighting, but I think we can go faster. I think we can get these couples done. And I think we can get all of this done in 20 minutes. But I didn't know that at the time. So I'm really nervous. I'm really kind of like, oh, gosh, I know I have 20 minutes left before the sun is gone. And um, we have a lot of shooting to do. <laughs> so, well, let's get started. All right. Now is when we start entering into the biggest challenges of the shoot and why it is I, I wanted to really kind of walk through this. The first challenge that we're facing is the lack of light. The ambient light is leaving and is starting, like the pace of how it's changing is increasing. We are losing the light faster and faster and faster. I had a little bit of room on the shutter speed. Like it's already in the 15 minutes we were waiting for the couples to show up. It's already gone down enough that I need to do something to bring up the ambient light in the exposure. Uh, I can lower the shutter speed. I can get down. I, I could probably go down since we're shooting at 24 millimeters with the individual couples. That two by rule, I can probably go down to one sixtieth of a second and be just fine, which would have really helped because going from one two hundredth to one sixtieth, that's going to give us a lot more ambient light. But remember, there's that spin photo, the spin move, and I just can't go that slow. So I decide, all right, I'm going to try. I'm going to try one one twenty fifth of a second, and so. So I, I do that, just thinking that's about the slowest I dare go and still try to get that spin to be to be kind of stop motion and not show a lot of motion blur. And, and even if a little shows up, that's not too bad because it shows that they were actually spinning and it wasn't just like a static pose. So that's okay. I'm okay with a little bit of motion blur. The others where they're still will be fine. I'll go down to 1 one twenty fifth of a second. So I, I decide that's okay. Um... And then I, I may need to increase the ISO. Like that's the next thing I have. I can't go any, I can't stop down anymore on the lens. I'm fixed there. I can't, I don't dare go any slower than one one twenty fifth of a second on the shutter. So I know I can increase the ISO. And as I'm setting up for this fifth couple, the first one that came late, uh, I, I, I meter and I'm saying, okay, I think I need to go from one ISO 100 to ISO 250. And I count the clicks. It's four clicks on the wheel because I, I already had the flash power set up great for what I wanted. I want I want these photos to match as much as I can. Um, and so since I did four clicks on the wheel to go from ISO 100 to 250, I'm going to go four clicks the other direction in lowering the flash power. And you might think, wait, you had to, you're lowering the flash power? Don't you want more light in the photos? That's true, but I need. I really want to have the ambient and the flash power balanced the same as what I had in the first set of photos that I shot. So I need to lower the flash power. I have to increase my the other settings. That I have to slow down my shutter and increase the ISO in order to get the ambient light up to kind of the same level as what I had with the first four couples. And if I left the flash power where it was, it would be overpowering. It would be way more, it would, well, not way more, it would be more than I want. And it would look much brighter and be obviously a ton different on the couples. So I want to lower the flash power the same number of clicks, which is really nice with the Godox controller. It has a wheel just like on my camera, has clicks, and I just go click, click, click down four, and I go from one eighth power to one quarter power. 
Uh, I didn't decide to go all four clicks. I decided to leave. leave I, I decided just to do three clicks as I was doing it. I take a very quick test shot. I check the histogram. Beautiful. It's what I want. So we're good to go. And uh, just three minutes later, we get the next couple. Like, bam, they're here, 6 p.m. I do all of that super fast in my head. I do. I adjust the stuff, take the test shot. Three minutes, we have the, the couple shot, all the poses done, and we're changing couples out. And while we're changing them out, I go to my practice of checking the metering again. Do I need to change any of the settings that I had set up? And I do. The light has changed so fast, is changing so fast right now that those three minutes makes a difference and I need to change my ISO again. I don't have the other two. I don't dare go slower. Remember, I can't slow the shutter down. I don't have anything I can do on the on the aperture. I'm already as wide open as I can get. That means ISO is the only thing I can do. So I take my ISO. I have to go from 250 to 400 now. That's two clicks. And so that means I have to go two clicks down more on the flash. I did decide to do that this time. And I end up at 1 16th power plus 0.3. So on the Godox controller, you actually get a one third stop control. And uh, and you can do it. So I did that. Just same number of clicks. I had to go two clicks up on the ISO. I go two clicks down on the flash power. Take a test shot. Looks beautiful. Shoot the couple. We continue doing this as I'm changing it. And we're going through all the couples. And we're really getting through them pretty fast. It didn't feel like I was going that fast as I was there on location. It was really cold. And the couples are freezing, freezing cold. And they're trying their best to like look happy as we're taking the photos. So it didn't feel in the moment like we were doing it, but we ended up doing five couples in 12 minutes. I ended up at ISO 1000 and a flash power of 132. One over 32, 132, it's hard to say that in a fraction, but one over 32 for the flash power. And yes, those shots at ISO 1000, they're not gonna be as clean as the shots at ISO 100, for sure, absolutely but they're well within the range of my camera where I know I can create good photos and there really wasn't anything I could do about it. The kids were late. That's just what it is. They were an hour after we thought we needed to be there. The ambient light wasn't there. Something had to give and it's the ISO in this case. Plus, the kids are going to be happy with these images anyway. They're, there's not a, a massive bar. It's not like this is the uh, most important client shoot ever and it, it's going to be just fine. Flash power adds so that I, I have good light on them. So it's really only the background that's going to be as noisy, as, is going to look a, a little noisier. And, and I, I'll be able to deal with it in Lightroom. I'll be able to make it look good. And the kids didn't even notice. When I gave them the images, they didn't notice the difference between the two. Nobody said, man, why do my, my images look so grainy or noisy compared to those others? Nobody said anything like that. They all loved them. They all loved all of the images. They were super happy about that. So that worked out really, really well. Now, some of you may be thinking as I go through this, why didn't you just use TTL? I mean, my controller and flashes support it. And so why didn't I just use TTL? So I don't have to worry about changing the flash power as I change the settings on the camera. The TTL will just do that for me. And my answer is, well, I, I just don't trust TTL personally. I've tried to use it some it doesn't seem to me to make consistent enough decisions that I can. I feel like I can rely on it. Now, maybe if if the light was changing like way faster or way bigger than I had here, like if you had to go from 
shadow to not shadow in a midday shoot, maybe I would I would consider it then or in in a more extreme situation. But yes, the light's changing every three or four minutes uh, here enough that I need to adjust camera settings. But I, I felt like I can adjust. And especially when you just count the clicks, I'm, I'm only increasing the ISO. So I count the clicks I increase and then I just do the same number of clicks on the flash and we're good to go. It's boom, it's doing it and it's consistent across all the images. And I don't feel like TTL brings that consistency to the table. Now what you should, the, the idea of it with TTL is you set the exposure compensation. So in this case, I wanted one minus one third stop. So I would set the exposure to the exposure compensation to minus one third. Then you meter from the, the brightest object again in the background, just like I was doing already. So those kinds of things would have facilitated this. But then, you know, just click to click, uh, metering is going to happen. And I'd have to remember to meter off at that same point every time with the spot. Anyway, I just didn't didn't want to do it. I'm, I'm fast enough with the manual controls on my camera and the flash. I was going through five couples in 12 minutes. So I didn't see any need for it. And I felt way more confident myself in being able to do this. If TTL helps you with your shooting and is a feature that you rely on, awesome. <laughs> Whatever you do to create the photos, that's the end goal. Whatever it is that you do. So just because I didn't think it was valuable in my situation and is not a tool I reach for, doesn't mean it's wrong. It's whatever is going to help you. And whatever tools you use, whatever process you use, it doesn't matter. Just do it and create good images. Um, so anyway, there you go. I've had people ask me about TTL a lot. I personally don't feel like it's a feature that's a make or break on anything. And I certainly wouldn't pay extra for it myself. Just it's not valuable to me. But if it's valuable to you, awesome. Use it. Go create images. Okay, now we have our group shots. So I'm almost done. Give me just a few more minutes here. I hope you'll stick with me. Group shots. Um, we've done the individual couples. They're all done. But now I've got a bigger change. I have to get the lighting set up to do a big group. And that means I've got to... We, we were shooting on the bridge from one angle. And now I need to get from the bridge with the whole bridge showing. It's a whole different angle and not having the location, you, you can't really tell what I'm talking about. Maybe I'll see if I can get like a Google Maps view of this thing and draw where I had the stuff and, and put it in the show notes. We'll, we'll see if, <laughs> if I have time for that. But um, I have to change the lighting. I already set up those two AD200s with the mag bounce lights next to the bridge, just in front of it, where I expected the couples to be. So those were already in position. They just weren't turned on. Uh, I should say the controller wasn't having them fire yet. They were on. The controller wasn't having them fire. And then I had, but I needed to move the softbox from where I had it around the the little pond in front of the bridge to the so that I could be kind of across the pond from the bridge and have the softbox point at the middle of the group. So I'm dealing with moving the lights and my wife is getting the couples out of the car and getting them onto the bridge and getting them posed. And I have, you know, a couple minutes to figure out what the setting should be. Those lights have been there in place on the left and right of the couple right next to the bridge, but they haven't been on. And now I've got to figure out what power setting I'm going to put them at, what power setting I'm going to put the softbox at. And do I need to change my settings on my camera? Every three minutes, the light's been changing to this point. I had to go to ISO 1000. Uh, what am I going to do now? I've got a re-meter. I've got a background that's different. 
and, and I've got to kind of reevaluate all my settings and I have three lights to deal with this time. I also am going from 24 millimeters to 70 millimeters. So that's a difference too in my settings. At 70 millimeters, I need to zoom that much because I'm a pond away from the bridge now and the to get the kids in the frame and fill the frame with the kids, I got to go to 70 millimeters. Um, ideally, I would be at 140, one one fortieth of a second on the shutter speed. That would give me the best chance of having sharp photos and not having motion blur or my shaking be a problem, cause a problem with the sharpness of the photos. So I, but I can't do that. I'm already at one one twenty fifth of a second on the shooting I just did two minutes ago. And I know if I increase to one one fortieth, I'm going to have to up the ISO. I don't want to do that. I want to stay at 1000 if I can. I'm not shooting a spinning photo anymore. So I can go, I can, I think I can cheat just a little bit more. I'm not going to be able to do the two, the two by rule here and double that 70 millimeters to the one one fortieth of a second. But I think I can cheat and I can go even down as far. I'm going to slow down to one one thousandth of a second. I'm going to, or sorry, one one hundredth of a second. I'm going to slow down from one one twenty fifth that I just did three minutes ago to one one hundredth of a second. But I want to see if it's going to work. I want to test it. So I also think, well, I don't know what to set those flashes right up next to the couples by the bridge, uh, the mag bounce modified lights. I don't know what power they should be at. So I'm just going to start at one one at one eighth. That's the power I start at. You have to choose something. It's a good power to start at. So I set it. I set them at one eighth, and then I set the softbox to full power. It's way across the pond. If I want to have any chance of it actually influencing the photo, I need to have it probably at full power. I don't know for sure if it looks super bright in the middle because it's it's doing more than I think, then I'll lower the power and we'll deal with it. But I really I have two things I need to check with my first test shot. I want to check to see what the flash power looks like and I want to check to see that there's not motion blur or, or some kind of lack of sharpness because I'm slowing my shutter all the way down to one one hundredth of a second. I'm just leaving the ISO at one one at one thousand and I'm gonna leave the aperture at two point eight. All right, so I take a test shot. The kids are still getting in position. It actually surprised them when the flash went off. They're like, whoa, because we had these bright flashes happen right in the middle of them posing and stuff. And they, they knew they weren't ready, but it, it didn't matter. I just like, I'm just doing test shots. I just yelled behind the camera. And uh, and so I, I look at the image, first check that there's not motion blur. We're good. The image stabilization in the lens, the way that I shoot, the combination of what I have, even at 70 millimeters and one one hundredth of a one one hundredth of a second, I'm getting good shots. They look sharp. I zoom in as far as I can on the preview on the back of the camera to check that, and we're good there. So I think I'm comfortable with my one one hundredth of a setting. Now the the flash. It looked pretty good, actually. The guess of one eighth power on those side, the, the lights nearest them, full power on the Mac, the softbox, looked pretty good. The problem I had was the the couples, the group of the couples, was too far camera left um, on the bridge. They were too close to one of the two flashes that was near them on the bridge. So the couples nearest it, they weren't blown out, but they were much brighter than the couples further from them, like in the middle of the group. So I had my wife move the herd of the couples to my camera right so that I can get them more in the middle of the bridge and the lights will be kind of evenly spaced between the couples and take another test shot and yep, I'm golden. I like where I'm at, things look good on the back. I check the histogram, I have room. 
everything looks good. We start taking the shots. And um, so I, I get, I say, okay, I'm ready. Let's have the, the women take off the, the blankets because they were there. We, we didn't want them to be cold. They were going to just dump the blankets behind them and let's take a shot. And as they're doing that, and I'm trying to get grab focus, uh, I realize the ambient light has gone down so much at this point. Focus is struggling. Focus on the Canon ADD is struggling to lock in. And some of it has to do with, I am so cold. <laughs> I'm having a hard time pushing the buttons on the camera, any of the buttons on the camera. My gloves uh, are thick and it's co- my fingers are freezing even with gloves on. It's so cold. And, um, and the, just the darkness is making it hard. So I'm, I'm just struggling to do that. It's also dark enough. I'm having a hard time even seeing as I look through the viewfinder where the focus points are at, where the focus is aimed at. Am I hitting the background or am I hitting a person's head when I'm trying to shoot? It was really tough. So, um, I, I know right then I have to do this where I am going to focus with every single shot I take. I'm going to reobtain focus and I'm going to make sure I do that so that in case I don't get good focus on one shot, oh, and I'm going to take more shots than I think I need because just in case uh, the one shot doesn't nail focus, I'll have three or four others to, to hopefully get it at least in one of them that I will nail the focus and have it be good. So I do that. We take the group shots, all the kids together, then all the girls, then all the boys. And that whole thing, what I just talked through, all of the setup of the lights and the power and, and the decision-making I went through and shooting the couples, that took seven minutes <laughs> to get through all of that. We're done at 6.22 p.m. And they arrived at 6. The, the last five couples arrived at 6. So in 22 minutes... We did individual couples of four, five couples, and we did group shots, several poses, and uh, and got them all finished in 22 minutes. And we went really, really fast. The couples, when we're done, they run to their cars because they're freezing, and they go get in there, and they're off for dinner and the rest of their dance. And uh, and I taking down the flash equipment. My wife retreated to the car quickly too. She was so cold. And, uh, so I'm, I'm taking them down. I'm actually having a hard time even taking down the flash equipment because my fingers are so cold and it's, it's just tough to even take that down. So I, I take them back. I'm, I'm not going to go through the editing. I just wanted to walk through kind of the process of doing the shoot, the challenges we faced and, and the way that I, the decision-making process that I was going through in order to, uh, to deal with the situation in the shooting that we had. And, uh, and, and so, so I'm not going to go through the processing, but the, the end story is they, they came out, uh, you know, I was able to create the images that I was hoping for the images that I envisioned as we talked to my son about doing this shoot, even dealing with the lack of light. Uh, I would much rather have done it with light and had it worked out like we planned, I think we would have ended up with even better images, but they were good. They were good images. All the kids really loved them. They had a, a fun time. They have some good memories now of the dance and, uh, and it was, it was a fun shoot to do. I hope you all liked it. We'll see. You can let us know. I'm going to, I'll definitely put a, a post out in the Facebook group. You can let us know if this is something that you ended up liking, if you'd like to have more 
kind of detailed shots, uh, descriptions like this. Um, maybe I can have some others in the group on the team, the master photography team go through some other things like this in similar ways. Let us know. We'd love to have some feedback on what you enjoy, what you didn't enjoy. And, uh, I hope you liked it. All right. So doodads of the week. I've already mentioned a ton of flash equipment and, and other things in this. So I'm not going to do a doodad of the week this week. Um, Go invest in yourself. Let's let's make that be the dude out of the week. Like I said, the person behind the camera is the most important part of getting a really good photo and creating a really good photo. And that's where you should focus your investment. Definitely invest in that person behind the camera and uh, and learn how to use your your do go through this decision making process as quickly as you can. Get get comfortable with it. Know how to shoot it. Um, okay. Reminders, masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show. That's where you can find the show notes. And now there's a nice big new shiny menu button that has show notes written on it. You can join our Facebook group over at masterphotographypodcast.com. And, uh, we'll have links to like our Instagram account and my work. You can find it at jsharmanphotos.com, but there'll be links in the show notes for that. And, and my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And, and, uh, we'd love to have you check all of that out. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you again in another seven days. 